Please join me in prayer. Father God, as we come to your word, we rejoice that you have shown us the true way of life. We pray, Lord, that you'll uh, bless us by your spirit as we look and, and contemplate your, your word. We pray in your son's name. Amen. This morning, we're going to talk about envy. Now, shortly, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from Genesis that shows a lot about envy, including what the outcome of envy can be. But first and I say this with, I, I wish it wasn't this way, but um, I've got to look at a couple of definitional matters with you. I say I wish it wasn't this way because that sounds so lawyer-like that first we need to define our terms, but um, alas, this is, 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 I think, necessary on here. There are two related but different concepts, first cousins, if you will, that look somewhat alike but are different. And for anything do I say after this to make any sense, we need to separate them. The two concepts are jealousy and envy. Let's look first at jealousy. Generally, three people are involved in a situation that winds up in jealousy. Okay, simple illustration. High school guy, all right? And he gets a little sweet on. Is that the right term y'all use these days? He gets a little sweet on a high school girl. And lo and behold, the high school girl is a little sweet on him. Life is good. But, wouldn't you know it, another high school guy shows interest in the girl. What the first guy feels is jealousy. Three people are involved. And jealousy strives to have or keep something. The first guy wants to keep the affection of the girl, wants to keep it away from the second guy. So it's a striving to have or to keep something. And it can be good or bad. If somebody shows untoward interest in Judy then jealousy on my part is a good thing. In fact, if I said, well, good, he's sending all these flowers and candy, now I won't have to. <laughs> Something's a little wrong in my reaction there. Even if I like the candy, I guess. But it can also be a bad thing. 
jealousy can be possessive, it can be paranoid. If it were that I would never let Judy out of my sight and never let her speak to another man, that would again be jealousy, but it would be bad jealousy. So jealousy, three people involved, good or bad. God is said to be jealous. Exodus 24 and 5 in your, in your bulletin. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to, down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The idea there is God is the husband, we are the wife, but the idol, the, the other husband is trying to seduce us away. God is rightfully jealous. Same thing in Deuteronomy. I won't read it. Same thing in Psalms. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 talks about how he is jealous with a divine jealousy for the Corinthians. So, can be good, can be bad. In the Middle Ages, there were what's called the seven deadly sins. And jealousy never made it onto a list of the seven deadly sins. There was some variation among them, but jealousy was never included. Envy, on the other hand, jealousy's cousin, consistently made the list of the seven deadly sins. And this is not a sermon about jealousy, it's a sermon about envy, so let's get on to envy. And let's go back to high school. Rather than three people in being involved, now we've got two. We have the high school boy, a C student, plays no sports, is not in the band, is president of the nobody club, okay? And then there's Dirk. You remember Dirk. He was president of the student body, quarterback of the football team, valedictorian, dated the captain of the cheerleaders. In his spare time, he was working on a cure for cancer. You remember that guy? Well, what the president of the Nobody Club would feel towards Dirk is not jealousy. It's not, boy, if Dirk wasn't there, I could be the quarterback and date the captain of the cheerleaders. It's envy. Where jealousy wants to stri strives to hold on to something, to keep something. Envy strives to tear somebody down. Rather than going up, envy says, you can be no better than me. And well, what does the president of the Nobody Club do? Well, maybe he spreads rumors about Dirk. Maybe he plants drugs in his locker and informs 
to the to the principle. Maybe, as we'll see in our passage that we're about to get to, he might even plan to kill Dirk. Not to make himself better, but to pull Dirk down. That's envy. God is never said to be envious. And envy consistently made the list of seven deadly sins. It's always bad. Okay. With that, with those as preliminaries, let's look at Genesis 37. Beginning with verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy, 17, with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, middle-aged men with their own families by now, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, their father, loved Joseph more than any of the other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. You see a footnote, it may be a robe of long sleeves. In any event, it was a robe, and that's going to be important in a minute. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Sounds a little like jealousy. I would suggest while there may have been some jealousy in there, it's much more envy. They hated him. Now, the next few verses are Joseph's two dreams where he dreams about the family bowing down to him and him ruling over the family. Verse 11, and his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Another short digression. Uh, Hebrew does not have separate words for jealousy and envy. Uh, They're two different concepts. English has two different words for the different concepts. Hebrew uses the same word for both concepts. So it is up to a translator to decide whether to translate the Hebrew word, it can mean either one, as either jealousy or envy. I would suggest that the ESV got it wrong here, that it should be and his brothers were envious of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Then his father sends them out again, sends him out to check on his brothers again. In verse 18, they, the brothers, saw him, Joseph, from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. When we will, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. He's not going to rule over us if he's dead. 
But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Reuben said that, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. There's the robe again. They took it off, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, having done a good day's work so far. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's, let's get something out of this for ourselves. And let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And the Ishmaelites took Joseph to Egypt. The brothers were envious of Joseph. As I say, there's a sense in which jealousy could have played a part. They wanted the special love that Jacob had for Joseph. But mostly, I don't think they were going to, thought they would get it by getting Joseph out of the way. I think mostly it's envy. Well, What caused envy? What caused it in this case? What causes it in our cases? I would suggest it's two things. One is thinking too highly of yourself. Whenever the phrase, I deserve, gets used, watch out. There's not only pride, but envy is is lurking around there too. The brothers, it seems, from verses 2 and 3, weren't doing a very good job of being shepherds. Joseph, verse 2, brought a bad report of them to their father. Either they were lazy, weren't looking after the sheep, Or, as we'll see a hint of from Judah's reaction, perhaps they were thieves. Perhaps they were selling off the sheep and keeping the money. It's like they sold off their brother and kept the money. I don't think that made it into the household accounts of Jacob's household. So, what Jacob did in response to this bad report was to enrobe Joseph. Now, enrobing in the Bible and up until recent times in our culture 
robes are symbols of authority. Who wears robes? Judges wear robes on the bench, a symbol of their authority. Professors used to wear robes, symbols of their authority. Priests and preachers used to wear robes. I guess priests still do. As, again, symbols of authority. Now, this isn't a sermon about wearing robes or not, okay? But, but the, the symbolism of it is authority. And so when Joseph is given the robe, whether of many colors or long-sleeved or whatever, the robe said he's the overseers of his brothers. His brothers are all middle-aged men with families. He's a 17-year-old kid. They're envious. They resented having a 17-year-old kid spoiling their fun. And they hated Joseph because Jacob exalted him. Jacob put Joseph over them. They wanted to take him down. Envy at work. They didn't necessarily want his position. They just wanted to make sure that Joseph no longer had that position. Tearing Joseph down to their level. So they thought too much of themselves. I deserve. I deserve to be able to take it easy on the job. I deserve to make a little money off the books. I deserve. But also, they thought too highly of themselves. They thought too lowly, if you will, of God. He should know better. The thing that they hated Joseph for, or two things that they hated Joseph for, one was their father loved him. The other thing was he is the dreamer. He had these dreams. He was, saw himself in a vision from God as the one to whom, who would rule over the family. And they said, their brothers thought to themselves, God should know better than that. Not only is our father exalting Joseph, God is exalting Joseph. Well, let's see where his dreams get him. Let's see how this dreamer rules over us when he's dead or in this Again, let's tear him down. Let's get him down to our level or hopefully below our level. Then we won't have to fool with him anymore. They envied Joseph for something he had that they didn't have. Exaltation by God. So they envied him. Well, what's the outcome then of envy? On an individual level, envy leads to murder. 
The first thing, the thing that it is said that the brothers did when they got their hands on Joseph is they stripped him of his robe. They took away the symbol of his authority. They cast him down. And then they cast him literally into a pit, literally below them. And even though they didn't kill him, they treated him like a thing. They sold him into slavery. They murdered him. Perhaps our envy does not lead to physical death, but it always leads to tearing down. It always leads to destruction. Under the there's a Proverbs verse that's under four. Let me get to it now. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So envy destroys not only the object of the envy, uh, the object of the envy, but the person doing the envying. Bitterness, rot, decay. As you concentrate not upon God, not upon what you should do in your life, but upon this other person. So envy brings death to both people involved. Envy is a great sin on a personal level. It also is a great sin on a societal level. And let me just touch upon this. Envy destroys justice. If you, an American, if if Cheryl Cutter, let me let me let me lives now in Mexico. If she driving her van in Mexico has a wreck, whose fault was it? Well, you say you don't know enough to know that. Well, you're thinking justice. If you're thinking envy, the answer is clear. It's the gringa's fault. And that's the way justice in much of the world works, is that she is a gringa. Therefore, she is rich. Therefore, she should pay. Let's bring her down to our level. Let's treat her with envy. Envy destroys community. Envy destroys the ability of someone to let anybody else know that they have something. Because once people know that they have something, they'll be, the, the people will be envious of them and try to tear them down. And in doing so, envy destroys progress. Because capital cannot be accumulated, capital cannot be displayed, capital cannot be invested to create progress. So envy is a great sin both individually and societally. Well, okay. 
So what do we do about it? How do you avoid injury? Easier said than done. Let me start off by saying that. The avoid Envy is avoided by contentment. Not by complacency. Joseph, if you read on in the, in the story, is content in whatever situation he's in. But it doesn't mean he likes it. He tells the cupbearer when he, after he interprets his dream, he says, please remember me to Pharaoh, Joseph's saying this, and get me out of this pit. He's in another pit and he'd rather not be in the pit. But he, run, he is faithful enough that he winds up being the guy who, who runs the pit. He is content with where he is. So contentment is acceptance, but not passivity. And how do you get that? Well... Look back in number two, where we talked about thinking too highly of yourself and thinking too lowly of God. In order to be content, foundationally, you need to get your perspective correct. You need to get out of the I deserve and God should know better frame of mind. Listed two verses, or two passages, short passages in the bulletin. You think too much of yourself, you get in the I deserve category. This is a parable, the end of the parable of the, the landowner who hired people, some at six in the morning, some at nine, noon, some just with, a, with an hour left in the day. And the people who had worked all day saw that the landowner was paying what they had agreed to be paid to the people who just worked an hour, and they said, hey, we're going to get much more, and then they just got the same amount. But the landowner replied to one of the workers who had worked all day, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with my, what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? When we say we deserve, we're begrudging Christ's generosity to us. What he promises us is not a bed of roses, what he promises us is to take up our cross and follow him. What he promises us is to take up, put our noose around our neck and follow him. There's thinking too much of yourself, thinking too little of, of God. He should know better. Christ appears to the disciples after the resurrection. He tells Peter, um, 
you're going to be crucified. Here's what you got in store for you. John 21, it's in, in the bulletin. Peter turned and saw John. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, I'm giving you a path. I've given you responsibilities. I've given you duties. You take care of your stuff and don't worry about what's going on around it. That's the cure for envy. I say that to my shame because it's very easy to talk about it. It's very difficult for me to do it, to not compare myself to other people, to not want what they have, not to be envious when they have more than I. But through the grace of God, if we keep our eyes on him, he will save us from the sin of envy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we confess to you that, that we put our eyes on, on so much else and so little on you. Father, teach us to, to be good and faithful servants. We know that what's required of a steward is to be found faithful. And we pray that you would uh, allow us through devotion and obedience to be faithful to you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Let's respond to that challenge of contentment by singing the song of consecration, singing, giving all of our lives, all of our gifts, our hands, all that we have to God in his service. Let's sing. Take my life and let it be together.
Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to the table of the Lord. 